welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show. Comedy on Power Talk, thank you so much for making us part of your day today. I think all of us, uh, no matter really what persuasion politically you are, I just feel like if you're in touch with yourself, then uh, it's important to align mind, body, and spirit. And uh, I think everybody just maybe through uh, tension and stress and then just, you know, people worrying, um, you know, there's a lot of dis-ease and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of people don't like those kinds of feelings. So um, I just feel like it is such a beautiful time um, to uh, uh, bring back a friend of the program, somebody who has been uh, really working and cultivating these issues for a long part of her adult life. And um, I do believe that, um, you know, she doesn't like to draw attention to herself, but, uh, you know, if we had more leaders like her, uh, we'd be on a better path uh, uh, and, a, and a healthier path towards um, civilization and society as a, as a species. Uh, at this point, at 102 Mountain Time, November 4th. I cannot say that. Susan Barnes, welcome back to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hi, Jake. Thank you so much for having me again. It's good to talk to you. The same here, uh, my friend. I I, um, I just wanted you to talk about, um, you know, what you feel is important for just people that are consumed with life, trying to pay bills, trying to put food on the table. Um, they don't know what to believe. They may not follow um, the sociopolitical dynamics as closely as people like us or even me. You know, I mean, it's just um, I always get distracted because of my kids or I have a chance to be, you know, talk to, you know, bring on guests like you or um, you know, pour my soul into to books or transcription, whatever it is, I, I can find ways to disengage and you know, exercise and, uh, and yet I still feel tired. And so I just want you to talk about how, you know, taking mind, body and spirit, how in this time, just an average cat can find equilibrium in what is going to be a prolonged traumatic, in some cases, very traumatic, uh, situation that it, that externally we have no control over. Mm -hmm. I think the key to what you're speaking to here is the recognition first and foremost that we don't have control over it at this point in time. It's out of our hands um, and it is very much a waiting game. Um, and while we wait, it is important to really pull back away from the very blatant uncertainty that we're existing in now, I would say at least between now and Friday, um, as, as more information becomes clear, there's a great deal of speculation and opinion, and there is a fervor, a national and international fervor, but more so national, um, that is, is, there's a concept that's called a pendulum. Pendulum, um, you can think of like a giant grandfather clock that has this pendulum swinging back and forth to dictate time. And the more weight that a pendulum has, the greater swing in either direction it will go. And this, this election, and today specifically, 
has so much weight to it, so much collective energy pouring into it, so much interest that the pull um, of its swing can really create a great deal of destabilization. Hmm. Um, and, and it's harder to find center. Um, and the only way to really protect oneself while we're waiting for the counts to come in is to just step away from the fervor, step away from the sensationalism of the process and wait because there are, there are rules here and there are specific measures that are being taken to ensure the accuracy of what's trying and you've done the important thing and you must now take a step back and rest disconnect from social media disconnect from news media and just wait wait until about friday i would say that's what i'm doing um, mm -hmm. um, because the the susceptibility of our own mind state to be sucked into the, this this fervor is is quite high it's quite high because this is just the echo chamber that we're currently existing in this is our shared human experience as americans um, and so, you know, double down on putting your phone down for the day, maybe, if you can, if you're able to do so. Um, spending time with people that you love that are not sucked into this stuff. Um, and if you, if you can't find people that are, are a little bit detached, then I would suggest just spending some time alone in nature um, and just really reconnecting to your own self um, as we wait for things to sort of settle down. Um, and I would say that even, you know, I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to, I would invite the possibility of continuing this type of practice beyond Friday. Um, just if we look to the 2000 election of George Bush and, and the recounting situation and how that dragged on, um, you know, hopefully that won't be the case, but it certainly is a possibility. And so the need to relinquish control or desire to have any sort of understanding or knowing of what the outcome will be is the way that you can protect yourself and just maintain well-being while the mechanisms that are in place for elections kind of rolls out. I mean, that's a very um, uh, cerebral and thoughtful mindful way to approach it um there's one component and that is involved with this that makes it the disattach the, the uh, to disattach or or unplug is absolutely legitimate but there's one very different thing that i think is raising um the uh well first of all people were just really hoping for some kind of finality because there was a lot of tension building up mm -hmm. to the election but right. Um, I wanted you to talk about, I mean, people in their houses, I don't think you necessarily had this and I didn't have it, but a lot of people grow up in houses um, where there are alternative realities and alternative stories that are being built, not at the macro political level, but very much within the life of that family. And mm -hmm. it is up to the children specifically to figure out ways to traverse this um, landscape of uh this alternative landscape that just doesn't seem you know you you it could be something as bad as as abuse um physical mm -hmm. or sexual it could be um stories about um projection out on other people about who they are but the point is that people are li 
people live, have had to deal with these alternative realities. And I wanted you to talk about, in your own personal life, how you specifically have dealt with um, people that are close to you that, that are liars and mm -hmm. or have mental, not mental illness, but just they're sociopaths. I mean, the person, this is what is petrifying for people is that we've never, I mean, Nixon was a crook, but he was mm -hmm. also a very bright dude. And he also, I mean, we had a very more, I, I think morally speaking, people stood up to him and basically said, listen, man, you, you know, either resign or you're going to get impeached. So it was a little, you know, it just felt a little more balanced, even though he was a scumbag. But the point is, there's, this person has no conscience. He has no guilt. He doesn't care. Mm -hmm. he, he could be watching video of women being ripped, having their children ripped away from them at the border. It doesn't bother him. In fact, he might mm -hmm. even get off on it. And mm -hmm. that's how Hitler came to power. And I just mm -hmm. really, and, 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 I'm not, and, and maybe, the, it, maybe this time around, it's not, it's not the Jews who are being thrown into incinerators. But I think that how have you, I know you talked about a friend last time that, that you've been meaning to talk to that has not been forthcoming. But I mean really like a sustained situation where alternative realities are being thrown at you that you know are not true. How to deal with that? Because at this point we are, really entering into a situation that i mean we i've never experienced where i mean if this person should retain a, another four years then we're truly looking at split realities we're kind of already there but i mean if he's there then we're officially going to have one truth that is fact-based and then one truth that is based on nothing except mm -hmm. uh paranoia so i wanted you if you've had that experience in your life professionally, personally, how did you learn to not overcome it, but uh, defeat it? Um, so I want to I just state something really quickly and then try to address the question like directly. Um, you know, I, I'm very hesitant to project out what has not yet come to pass, um, to ideate or speculate. Um, and I rarely sort of talk about politics in this regard, mostly because um, the perspective I hold is one in which throughout the course of history, there have been terrible leaders. It's, just, it's the nature of our history as, as, as a species. Um, horrible people have come into power um, and done horrible things. and have eventually come out of power um, and life has gone on um, throughout the centuries. Um, and, and so when I look to our current president and the potential of, of, of history repeating itself in this way, um, I, I actually cannot give too much weight to that possibility primarily because of the fact that I am, and maybe full-heartedly, trusting in a full House of Representatives and a full Senate of, of leaders um, that are capable of taking action in a way that is balanced. Um, so this is just just how I feel about the situation. Uh, I, 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 can you point to some of the the leaders you're referring to in history? Um, they're not leaders. They're just I mean they they get into power. people that rose into power. Yes, yeah. people that rose into power. 
Um, and when I speak about like leaders specifically, I'm, I'm kind of looking towards like the House of Representatives and the Senate um, as like a collective pool of intellect that will do the just thing at the end of the day. Um, uh, and, and again, I could be doing this. Could be no, no, no. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't, re mm -hmm. I didn't rephrase. Mm -hmm. I, no, I, 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 I like you am foolhardy in that sense. I'm talking about when you refer to leaders in the past that have gotten into power who are destructive. Who mm -hmm. are the ones that come to mind for you? Yeah. Um, uh, um, Alexander the Terrible, or like <laughs> you know, like yeah. more in more recent history, like Hitler. And the countless other like kings and things of this nature, um, of, of you know monarchies and things of this nature, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, and even if we look to um, the, the 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 Portuguese, um, you know, in, in Inquisition, you know, deploying uh, Christopher Columbus, um, absolutely, like you know, to come to the New World, like you know, this. The, the, there are amazing times in history, golden times in history, and then there are just very, very dark periods in history. Um, and if you kind of zoom out on the lens of like, this can happen, this has happened, um, and there is a potential for it to occur again, um, then to zoom out on politics and to observe what's happening now, um, to see you know the potential of something like that happening again, there's certainly that case. We see it happening already in other countries around the world. Um, but when it comes to our own soil, um, the particular ways in which the government stru structure was set up um, is one in which I, I do not think that, you know, despite the, the individual that resides in, in the presidency at this point in time, um, has done so much um, to really up, up, upheave um, the structures that are in place, but there are still, I think, solid foundations. Um, so I just I, I just wanted to say that, and then I want to come back to the question specifically mm -hmm. um, about, and I want to just make sure that I'm hearing you right. Um, you're talking about, or at least I'm assuming that you're talking about people that are coming from a place of adversity and like working through that. Is that what you're speaking to? I'm talking. I mean, just as an example, uh, you know, um, uh, this person gets up and says, "Well, um, you know, there are." a lot of ballots being dropped off that are illegal. There's no fact basis to it. There's none of mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. then put that into your life. You come home, long day of work or at work, and someone is sabotaging you with lies mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. some kind of alternative. This, and, and, I mean, I'm, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people, uh, and, and I have uh, – they look at this person and they say, oh, he's just like Crazy Uncle Joe. But Crazy Uncle Joe uh, – did a lot of, I mean, emotionally, I just wonder how you deal with somebody who is, who is literally not just not empathetic. I mean, there's no conscience. He doesn't, he doesn't mm -hmm. ever feel bad. He doesn't mm -hmm. apologize because he doesn't feel bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, these things you would say like, you know, last week, uh, you were like, I have to cancel our appointment I, I and you said i apologize about the last minute cancellation not that you felt bad about it but it's and it's just that's what it is like, like you know you you had to cancel the last minute so i mean it's just courtesy but it's also beyond that like in a sense have you been in situations with people where they are constantly projecting an alternative truth that you know mm -hmm. not to be true mm -hmm. and to me it's not something that can be um, 
Well, like in my marriage, you know, like towards the end, I remember, I remember driving to pick up my older daughter from school and I'm driving through an intersection and a car coming through the intersection, uh, uh, hit me in the si- passenger mm-hmm. side, uh, kind of got mm-hmm. T-boned a little bit. And, and, uh, you know, my car was like pretty wrecked. Um, and, uh, although it was salvaged actually, but the point is that, you know, like I remember calling my wife at the time and her response was, was she was yelling at me. Mm-hmm. Like she was yelling. She didn't care. Uh, and now maybe that was she was frightened or scared, but still, it, it was so the lack of respect for decency, not decency, just like it was like she was attacking me for something that wasn't my fault. She was more pissed off that she had to go pick up the, the girl, the, um, our daughter or, um, you know, how could it be so re- immediately she just assumed that I was reckless without even listening to the facts. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, I just said, I'm not I don't want to live you know, I mean, I just made a decision to actually let go of any kind of uh, attempt to um, heal the relationship because I just said I'm not going to be treated like some caricature of myself or be told mm-hmm. that this is the kind of person that I like. I don't want to be like that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just want to be myself. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it was kind of like one of those things. I remember coming home after, I mean, my, my, my insurance, my, my, uh, my insurance guy, he, he left the office and came down to stay with me till the, till the, uh, you know, the uh, police could come and take a report. The woman turned out not to have a license. You know, it was blatantly her fault. But the point is that was just, I remember coming home that night and she was still like yelling at me and I'm like, what is going on here? Like, this is bizarre. And that's the way I feel. I mean, the, how have you, can you talk about a specific time when you dealt with people who were consistently under the impression that uh, the sky was yellow and the sun was blue? Mm, yeah. Uh, um, I want to protect the integrity of, of confidentiality um, in this regard. I'm sure, sharing these sure, stories. Sure. Um, I'm just trying to figure out a way how to do that. Um, the answer is yes, I have dealt with people like that uh, over the course of my lifetime. Um, I guess and... here's the point. I don't need to know the specifics mm-hmm. of confidentiality. I just want to know how you first dealt with it and then how you sort of, um, you know, rationalized it and then how you, um, if there was some kind of resolution. Like, like to me it was, it may not be the perfect example, but, you know, the dissolution of, of my marriage was the resolution. So I just, mm-hmm. I, I'm curious mm-hmm. for, like if you can just go, th- I don't even need to know the, the details of it, but mm-hmm. when you first, mm-hmm. like when you first received it, what it was like, then mm-hmm. how you rationalized and how you resolved mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so in that regard, I'm also just trying to pick one out of the, you know, <laughs> several so there's that a basket encountered of, my entire okay, life, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, mostly because, like, you know, we're all different, right? Like, everybody's yeah, different, yeah. and the, the likelihood, especially living in a melting pot like America, of, mm-hmm. like, you know, confronting someone that has a drastically different experience, lived experience of reality than you do, is, is, is there. Um, Susan, I also want to be clear. I, I, this is not, this is not like uh, uh, a different experience. This is an alternative reality with fat no facts and no truth 
where it's really just altered. And, and that to me is the most paralyzing thing about our situation is that you cannot have dialogue with an altered reality. I mean, you know, it's, you can have different opinions. Mm-hmm. You know, part of our political situation now is that it's mm-hmm. just not vogue to compromise, but that's so, different. So, yeah, so um, I think we're just, this is semantics. Um, I'm using different language to denote the same thing. Um, and and I will say that there is a prevalence primarily because of the way that the American education system is set up. Um, I know that when I was going through school, um, that a lot of the way that I was taught was retention of information and multiple choice, which in and of itself is one in which you are told what is right and accurate uh, by uh, some sort of authority. And it is your responsibility to internalize the information that you were told as being true without questioning it. And that is how you ace tests, right? This is how you move forward. And so there's an indoctrination within the American education system. I'm not sure how much it's changed since I was, I was, I was educated. But yeah, you're right. There's an, there's an indoctrination in which there is no pushback against authority. There's no pushback against what you're being told as being fact. Um, and there, if you are to question or to deviate from what you're being told as being fact, then you are wrong. And so this shapes the way a great deal of people um, think and behave and receive information, as well as an inability to actually critically think independently. Um, and so then you translate this to people that have gone through schooling, and let's just say like they've just gotten a high school education, for example, right, and they're out in the world. When the authority is no longer the teacher within that standardized environment, it translates over into the media, where you have people that speak in very authoritarian, authoritative ways. Mm-hmm. They are yeah. giving you information. They are feeding you information which you have already been primed for from several years, 12 years of education, of receiving what you were being told and believing that as fact. Right? And so when I say different, different life experiences, and you call them alternative realities, we're talking about the same thing here fundamentally, and there's a prevalence of it just because of the way in which the mind has been primed developmentally growing up to receive information as fact without questioning it. Um, and so then you have the uh, heightened sophistication of the fear-based systems within the media system of uh, sensationalization that stimulates like your more reptilian, like limbic system. It's your emotional center. And I think I've kind of brought this up before, and maybe maybe it wasn't here for someone else, but there is a way in which information is delivered to heighten the fear response in people, thereby creating an emotional bond and a memory of the information they're receiving for it to be felt in their body as fact. Um, and from this place, this this body this body connection to the information that they're receiving causes there to be such a deeply rooted emotional attachment to it that people take this on as reality. Right? This fear-based system deeply ingrained this into my body and my sense and my knowing that what I'm being told is going on in the world is true. Um, and you know, even educated people like my my grandmother, for example, um, PhD. Um, worked for the Pentagon at some point, you know, like like very worldly woman. When I went to Israel for the first time back in 2010, and I came back and I hung out with her, lives lives in Manhattan, by the way. Yeah. She said to me, "Why would you go to such a dangerous place? I can't believe that you would do that." And oh. I turned and I looked at her and I was like, "Man, it, it wasn't dangerous at all. I, I felt very safe there. I didn't have any experiences that would make me fearful." Um, and it dawned on me in that moment that the main feed that my grandmother had had to shape her perspective of what that country was like was television. News, 
movies, stories, all of these things were informing and shaping her perspective and reality because she had never actually had the direct experience of going there and living it herself. And so then you can extrapolate this to look to the grander American population um, and, and not just the way in which they are perceiving the reality that they live in, but also the fact that most people are living in a state in, in which their mind is working towards something called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias states that it doesn't matter what kind of information that you are receiving about a particular subject. Credence to the things that amplify what you believe in. Mm -hmm. Right? So you can have a person like Trump who is just an atrocious human, like just absolutely atrocious, and all of that information coming out about him and the truth of who he is, but because people have deified him uh, and, and see him in this very specific way of who they wish to be, right? Like, and, 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 and that's a different conversation, but they deify this, this person in such a way that any information that contradicts their perception of him, um, they will ignore. And they will ignore that because they are so strongly identified with this person. They see themselves, their identity, like their foundation, as this, this externalization, as this person. And if you begin to tear apart that externalization, this deification of a person, they will ignore the things. They will ignore it all and they will use it as fodder for fuel of their own rage to then just double down on the dedication that they have to this individual. Um, and so there's a, there's a healthy cocktail here. So anyway. Uh, how, how, how you speak so articulately about that. I don't think I've ever heard anybody. I mean, you're not a psychologist, but I mean, that was basically a perfect read, but it's, it's spoken like somebody who has experience with this. Hmm. Yes. Um, because the way I, you just I, said it, I mean, not that you grew up in, but I mean, to me, it's just the way you just said it. Um, I just want to know the first, how you, when you stood up to it, because what I'm saying is, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the system is um, compartmentalized, teach what to think, not how to think. And then, um, and I just have to believe based on our prior conversations and, you know, what when, when how did you rise above it how did you stand up to authoritarianism mm -hmm. in, in your own life mm -hmm. um so it's different there so so again um i've encountered it in workplace situations where you know i this is the place that i have to come to right and these are the exactly. people i have to interface with right um i've also encountered this type of behavior um and this type of um dynamic in in friendship circles and th things of this nature where there's a little bit more freedom Right. Um, and then I've also encountered it even within the own structures of my own family, which is in and of itself, it's its own entity. And so um, I guess I'm sharing all of that as a preface to understanding how I interact with all these different kind of elements. So if I look to the, the workplace, for example, um, I worked for uh, the CEO of this company um, was delusional. Um, she was um, uh, a very, very difficult person to work for um, and had a reputation as such, which because in my um, early careerhood, I didn't necessarily know the importance of doing due diligence on the organizations I was wanting to work with. Mm -hmm. I only learned this about a month into working in, uh, in, in, this, in this particular. Of course, um, how would you firm. know? You know, I mean, that's just, that's mm -hmm. okay. Continue. Yeah. Um, and so then I found myself stuck in a position because 
I just started this job and when you're new in your career path, like you're to have a quick like turnover, multiple employers in a short amount of time does not actually bode well for your success. <laughs> and so at that point in time when I realized the type of toxic, demanding, um, just primarily toxic environment that I found myself in was a an, an agreement with myself to do what I could to perform exceptionally well at my tasks and my roles in order to lit, to to stay in the role for a year and then once the year mark would go I would put my resume out and interview again and be so and do my due diligence on like any organization <laughs> that I might be interviewing with but that year yeah, was incredibly yeah, yeah. incredibly mm. difficult because this person is my boss this person is directly responsible for my livelihood and I also need this person to give me some sort of like bid me farewell in a good way. Um, and it was an incredibly trying period um, in a demanding job um, where there was more pressure than had to be because of the toxicity of the environment that this woman cultivated. Um, and, you know, in, in, in the way that I kind of handled that was by keeping my eye on the goal. The goal, like when I was tired and I was exhausted and I was crying when I was at home and just like hating it, was like, you can do this. You're strong enough to do this. There's another side to this. You can get through it. And I did. Um, hmm. and, and being in relation to someone like that, being in relation to someone who um, I would say is probably close to, as close to the literal devil as anyone could be, um, taught me a great deal. I grew and developed so much in so many different ways as a result of learning how to live with that, learning how to work with that type of delusion and that type of energy, um, which has served me up until now and will continue to serve me. Um, so, so you know, finding the the wisdom and the lessons from such a such a trial, uh, difficult experience. If I look to friendship groups, right? If I look to friends, dynamics in which like I've I've become friends with someone and then it becomes revealed over time where they shift as a person and suddenly there's a divergence in our values and the way in which we see the world. Um, there's a metric that I just kind of keep uh, with people that I'm connected to in life, even if we have different opinions and, and different um, 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 ideas about what life is about, is is there a general level of respect for the other person? Is right. there a general level exactly. of love? Right. Do I feel that here? And how do I feel in my body when I'm around this person? Even if they're talking about stuff that I don't agree with, like, does it feel okay? Am I able to look them in the eyes and still see their humanity and hear them out and not box them out, right? Because what they're doing, even in my own discomfort of hearing things that I don't necessarily agree with, they are causing me, me in my own perspective to expand beyond like what I am currently capable of actually understanding myself. And so there is an active invitation of allowing that contrast in as long as that relationship is rooted in love and it's healthy. Um, and this comes from knowing sense of self. This is like, we can totally have different opinions, Jake. We can totally like love different music and believe in different politics and all these different things. But are you making me feel like garbage for, for the way that I feel about things? Are you refusing to listen to me? Are you trying to tell me what to believe and what to think? These are all, you know, small but but very 
very um, high indications that like this relationship is not one in which growth could potentially be mutual, mutually expansive. Um, and so then there's that, 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 that examination. And again, like, you know, this is when I say, like, come back to the body. Like, how are you feeling in your body? Is this general discomfort of, like, oh, I'm getting pushed into an edge? Or is this the discomfort of, like, oh, this person is attacking me? This person is losing their sight of my humanity. And, and I'm not talking to the person and the soul that I was once in communion with. Um, if I look to example of family. Um, before you go to the family, before you yes. go to family, I just I, I'd love. Could you give a specific example of a of an area that you grew in, because based on this delusional devil archetype woman? I mean, in terms of, I'm just trying to do that for, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, was it, um, you know, I I can't. I'm sure you did excessive amounts of amazing work, but I mean, was it more? Can you give it like an example of the delusion, mm-hmm. and then you know. And then, obviously, you kept your eye on the goal, but that specific, um, you know, thing that would that could drive people insane. How did you, how did you stay within body? So I think the 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 anchor for all of that was knowing my goal, is keeping my eye on the long term goal and why it is that I'm doing what I'm doing and orienting from there. Hmm. I'm not going to give a specific example, but I can say that like what I learned um, was how to be how to plan four steps ahead of her. Um, I also learned how to... Four steps, four steps. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. I learned how to become exceptional in my work product, mm-hmm. like triple, quadruple, quintuple, like check. Right. Um, you know, my work that I was doing. Um, and I learned the importance of, again, another like lesson in my life of just how not to treat other people. Um, she was a micromanager um, and was very quick to name someone's incompetence if she saw one mistake and not just name the incompetence but berate the person, um, which is emotional abuse. And so as my own sort of survival and coping mechanism, um, that anticipatory quality developed in me of like being able to see my work and see possibility in my, in my work from several different angles so that if she were to come at me in any way, I would be prepared. Um, and so this is kind of like a, a honing of, of exceptionalism from a professional perspective, right? So mm-hmm. um, totally. as much as like it was a challenging situation, it gifted me a great deal that I would not have been able to be gifted if I was not under the duress of such toxic circumstances. It also helps me to cultivate deeper relationships and deeper knowing with other parts of the organization I was affiliated with and get better in terms of my clear communication across organization, like laterally, um, and get to know different parts because it helped to inform what I was doing and to be able to anticipate. So she basically helped me become a chess player, um, a chess player in the politics of managing someone um, who was effectively supposed to be managing me but could not. I mean, I think there are probably people in this current administration that are doing that exact thing, uh, and I don't know if they... I mean, for you, it was keeping your eyes on the goal that you set. Uh, some of these people will defend themselves by saying, well, we're, we're the guardrail towards whatever this person, we know we're going to check them or keep them in line. But um, so, yeah, uh, you're, and then even within your family, you were saying that there is um, uh, also uh, 
you've, you've, yeah. had, you've had a deal. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to, yeah, I, I really don't want to go into too much detail just because it's so private. Um, but what I will say from the learning from the experience is that uh, there are a lot of structures in our society that make us believe we have to be, do, act in a certain way based upon the types of relationships that we have with people. If it's professional, if it's familial, if it's platonic, if it's romantic, there are already kind of like structures in place that we are expected or anticipated to to behave accordingly. Um, and so when it came to kind of this, this thing that arose in my family dynamic, um, there was a deep understanding of the differences in the way that we were raised um, and the unique challenges that were associated with my sibling that caused me to have a deep level of empathy and compassion for the type of delusion that, um, that was lived. Um, and I was able to hold that compassion for years before it started to affect my well-being, before it started to really begin to disrupt my my mental states, mm-hmm. um, and the pressure of it being a familial relationship is one in which, like, what do they say? Like, blood is thicker than water, right? Like, Absolutely. it doesn't matter what happens in the family. Like, you have to stick with the family, and you you know you do this, this, and that. But I actually do not ascribe to that because what I see is I'm looking at another person and another human. And there are very specific ties as a result of our blood. Um, But if you are harming me, if you are hurting me, um, and there is no desire on your end to to seek help or to to even inquire within about perhaps the level of delusion that one has, then the only option that I found for myself was to step away from that relationship as I would step away from a friendship or a professional relationship or a romantic relationship to say that I cannot be in communication with you anymore. It harms me. It hurts me. Yeah. And to, to make that difficult decision, despite the fact that this is, this is my family, um, knowing full well that, that there is always, there can always be an arc that there can always be a point in separate paths being walked parallel to each other in which development gets to a place where we can meet again and be in healthy relation together. And if it's not in this lifetime, then the next one or the next. But in knowing that like that depth of connection that is born through family is one that is enduring. Um, but to know one's boundaries, to know that like there's a certain level that even if it is family, if it is, if it is adversely affecting your quality of life, that there is a permission, at least I'm permissioning anyone who's listening, to kind of just take a step back and prioritize like your well-being. And I'm talking about the serious things that can't be worked through, right. um, especially if the party, the other party is unwilling. Um, and so that's kind of just what I'm going to say there. It's beautiful. Um, no, I think, I mean, Susan, I think it's like, I guess maybe I also want to ask you to talk to people about, not that you're perfect with this or anybody is, but... You know, again, you've, you've, you've had situations in the workplace and with family and, um, and personally, and I think everybody does. And I do see people who tend, you know, in more personal relationships, um, tend to gravitate towards those who have treated them poorly in the same 
behavior in the past. They wind up mm. gravitating towards people um, with the same characteristics that that mm. were traumatic for that other for that other person. And I and mm. I want you to know, you mentioned last time about you know having a sort of a a detector, uh, you know, being a very open soul. Uh, but when you feel uncomfortable or that things need to be short circuited, I mean, you're more you're aware of that. But how have you learned uh, to not fall into the idea of, because it's, I think it's subconscious with a lot of people, but there are people that continually wind up in the same hole uh, because that's all they've known. And I think you're the overarching major point is not only keeping your eyes on the goal, but also um, realizing that, um, that, to be, to be aware and to not fall victim to the same stuff. Um, and that requires a lot of intelligence. So I, I guess maybe to, and sensitivity, you know, and, and I just maybe for people, for people that don't, that are a little bit denser and that maybe aren't, ha, as, don't have as bright a light. I mean, what's your advice to, how do you, maybe you work with people on this, but it's just like, what would be your advice to people to not fall in to the same habitual relationships that prove to be um, demoralizing, beyond stressful, and and then they start to affect your your well being. Mm, yeah, oh, this is really important. Um, there is, um, I believe, the invisible threads of attraction. Um, are are what bring us into particular relational dynamics in order to afford us a window of opportunity for growth. And you know you can call it subconscious patterning if you wish, but there is an underlying portion of people that are seeking to heal a particular part of themselves um, by transcending who they've been before. Mm -hmm. Um, and until an individual is capable of cultivating a level of self-awareness of their own patternings, they will be victim to this perpetual cycle of repeating the same thing over and over again because the, the opportunities that are presenting themselves to transcend are not being capitalized on, and this is mostly out of fear. Um, the way that the mind works is that it is far more comfortable in it is comfortable and it prefers its preservation of identity by keeping in a state that is unchanging. Um, there is a great deal of discomfort that comes when facing something that is uncertain and unknown. And so there is a higher predisposition to stay in a particular situation because our body is familiar with how it feels, even if it feels crappy. Um, our mind is able to stay within the safety of what can be predicted um, and it is far easier to exist in that and much harder to imagine the possibility that things can be different and not only different but they can be better more often than not the mind will believe that things can only be worse if they step away from what it is that they know hmm. um, and hmm. so for people that are you know number one is, is first and foremost usually people that keep um, repeating these patterns um, have very deep trauma and void 
um, inside of themselves and they may not have the ability to actually be able to even understand the cycle that they're in. So if we observe that in people that we love, like we can act as mirrors to them. Um, but until there is actual agency in the person themselves to get to a place in which they are ready to transcend their current circumstance, it doesn't really matter what we do and how much we care for them because they have to see it themselves. They have to live it themselves. And so if it is someone that we love and we care about to be there to reflect, to support and to encourage them seeking help, um, to, to encourage them to go see someone professional, um, to help them understand the, entrapment of their own mind, like the way in which their imagination and their perception is very much caged, to delicately sort of begin to open up that cage and have support in whatever wishes to emerge um, that is fear-based. Um, and so, you know, everyone is different. It, it, it doesn't really have much to do with intelligence. It has to do more so with um, the amount of wounding and trauma a person has. Um, whether or not they have access to loving resources to help them heal from that, um, and whether or not they have a stable foundation in which they can feel safe as they begin to explore these um, these newer areas of themselves. Yeah, I meant the intelligence, like it's not easy to be four steps ahead of somebody. Like to be mm -hmm. able to do that gracefully, is that that is a very high level of intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I know in my soul that that you can be, uh, as a teacher and as a guide, you tell me if I'm right or wrong. I mean, I, I'm not saying that you, you're right, people have to come to their own realization um, uh, about it and take, and take ownership of it, but I mean, are you doing a lot of Zoom work these days? Yes. <laughs> Obviously. And, uh, so I'm, I'm just, I, I just feel like, can you talk about why it's important to sometimes, uh, because I don't think you are where you are because, you know, it's, um, you know, a, a safe space all the time. I think that sometimes you have to tell, talk, I mean, whether they take ownership or not, that's going to be their ultimate decision. Mm -hmm. Can you talk how you've gotten more comfortable about, I don't want to say not being nice, but sort of getting somebody awakened to these mm -hmm. repetitive patterns. And like, I mean, yeah. I, you know, was that something that, because mm -hmm. here, here you're in the corporate world for so long, a, a, a decorated accountant for very big firms sort of taking cues and the idea of the psycho-spiritual is really not there. Um, but as a, a yogi, I mean, and as a teacher, can you talk about how you learned to to really find that? Because that's, to me, leadership is when you basically you just tell somebody what they need to hear. And, and I want to know how comfortable you were at the beginning. And, and if so, if, how you've learned to to not, you know, I mean, because some people would be like, oh, I don't want their feelings to get hurt or I don't want them to mm -hmm. feel bad. But I yeah. know you don't have any issues with that. Yeah. Um, so the my my approach is just singular in that. Um, again, and I and, and I echo this before, but um, and I think our last interview is that like I fully admit that I really just don't know anything. Right. Like, I really don't. Right. You know, and I'm okay with that. And 
and oftentimes when I'm working with people, um, I will ask if they want an insight. I will ask permission before I share Interesting. what I feel is coming up. Because then they have the option of saying, no, actually, I don't want to hear anything. So what do you say when they say no? I say, okay, <laughs> um, let's keep going. Okay, know? but I mean, but like, that, to me, like, that is, yeah. is rare. You know, that's, that's rare that that happens, right? Okay. But then the other thing about me specifically is that my process with people is one in which I'm not really saying much. I'm just asking them questions. And the, 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 the approach of asking questions and again, I talked to you about this. I said, I'm only as good as the questions you ask me. Um, the ability to expand a person's mind comes from not telling them how things should be, but comes from them inquiring of themselves. And so I just listen to what it is that they're saying, and I hear, and, I, and, I, and I'm capable of understanding the, the box that they exist in, and I ask a question that causes them to have to shift in the way that they're thinking about things. It leads to openings inside of them, and what it does is effectively grants them access to their own wisdom and understanding, and understanding that they themselves have a lot of the answers to the questions that they posit already. Do you, so do you find that it like, like is it something that um, uh, is like uh, is it is there a resi a resonance to it where um, it stays with that person for for quite a while or or do you find that you know there's these uh, you know sort of cathartic moments in the moment but then you know things get shrouded again in your in you know in in other sessions with them I mean is it something that's I guess that's the power of it is like, yeah, you remember those things that your mom told you or that you learned from directly that you have always stuck with you today. Mm -hmm. But when somebody for the first time is coming to a realization, when, when you say, well, something's coming up, do you want to hear it? And they say, yes. Mm -hmm. Do you find that it's, um, and I'm not saying across with a, with a broad brush, but I'm saying like, how often does this carry on and give some sort of salvation peace to people or do you find mm -hmm. yourself often having to go back and and uh and work and continually work on it yeah um if it's an insight in particular it's to me the way that i perceive it is that it's a seed um it is a seed that a person receives and it can grow inside of them um and there'll come a point when eventually um life experience direct life experience will grant them context to that seed and they can understand um, and however long that takes to transpire is like, you know, wholly dependent upon the individual themselves, but this is just the nature of it. It's the nature of wisdom. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's varying the insights, the, the, um, the, they, it happens quickly. Like it usually just like within a matter of like very, very short amount of time, <laughs> you know, what the person thinks that they're showing up for is very different than what we actually start talking about. Um, and so even that in and of itself is an insight because they, they, they have been looking at the wrong problem. Um, and so, you know, the, and then going through unpacking all of that. Interesting. You know, this is really fascinating. I, I, I want to read you this quote from uh, this guy, amazing, uh, amazing person and incredible guitar player, Terry Haggerty. And he said, I remember Robin Ford, who's another great guitar player, telling me, how can you be so much better than you are? I would tell him, when you get in that state of mind, when you get in that state of surrender in the moment, inside the music, stuff just happens. 
people ask me, what did you just play on the guitar? I tell them, I have no idea what I just played. I don't remember a bit of it. I wasn't actually there when it happened. It's like Socrates said, you must know what you don't know. That brings about an amazing conundrum of all these mental processes that are based on what you know. You can put it together in a lot of different ways, but to actually have something new come through you, you've got to jump to that place in your mind where you're really looking for that new thing, but you've removed yourself from influence in any way. Something's going to happen, you know. I want you to talk about that, Susan, because mm -hmm. setting aside all your native gifts, we all have native gifts, you know, the idea, this so Socratic quote that you just said, which I love so much, is you must know what you don't know. And I feel like, you know, I, I know that a lot of times that some of the best work that I do, I am not at all, uh, it's come, new stuff is coming through me just because mm -hmm. I'm in that state of mind. And I wanted you to talk about how often that happens to you where, uh, you know, you'll go back and listen to something or, you know, someone will say that, you know, that was amazing. And you're like, I don't know how I did that. I, you know, how much better, how come you're so much better than you are? <laughs> because we are all human animals. I mean, at the end of the day, we're very, uh, at, we're very mistake prone people. But yet mm -hmm. when you tap into, when you are authentically tapping into source mm -hmm. and you do it so authentically, Mm -hmm. um, and you're vulnerable, then all of a sudden new stuff comes through. So maybe, maybe you could just talk about something new that's come. I feel like that's always happening with you. <laughs> um, oh, I appreciate you, Jake. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see. Uh, this kind of comes back to like what I was talking about before when I work with people, the importance of asking questions and asking good questions um, because possibility lies on the other side of the question. Um, an answer is just a static thing that's like there, right. it's done, and there's really not much room to like move around outside of that. But with question, that kind of like, it, 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 it creates possibility. Um, I'm of the adage and the mindset of the fact that like we exist in a realm, an, an infinite realm of possibility. And if you open yourself up to that, you create an invitation for an infinite possibility to meet you. Mm -hmm. um, if I say that my life is this thing, and it's always going to be this thing, and I'm very rigid against changing it, then that's going to be my reality. And it will take something very disruptive um, in my life to jolt me out of that possibility. Um, but because I'm not creating any sort of constriction, I'm allowing the creative impulse of life to move through me. Um, I, I use kind of this very open um, foundation that allows me to take in a lot of information and to allow a natural synthesis of that to occur in order to invite more possibility in. Um, and that openness, um, I think, just allows there to be um, greater freedom in pulling in and feeling into the things that like really truly enliven me. Um, and that is, with full understanding, 
that in five years it probably won't be the same. Right. I won't be the same. I will certainly evolve within the next five years to be a newer, different iteration of myself. And by the way, before refined. you go on, um, mm -hmm. I don't. It just sounds like you're stenciling in the background, but I think it's just like you're touching the the earphones or something. There's just some kind of like, uh, okay. I don't want to, your voice is, it's too important. To, I want every word of this. Go ahead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so there is a, and an, the opening continues into the recognition that like I, as an individual will continue to evolve and discover more and more as a result of this general openness that I'll, I'll have uh, new experiences, meet new people um, that will all continue to shape and inform um, my own process of, of evolution through a means of creating contrasting experiences. And so I am learning more of who I am by what it is that I'm experiencing around me and saying, ah, oh, that feels right, or oh, that feels constrictive, or oh, that actually feels expansive. Um, and moving forward in this way, knowing that as time goes by, um, that my gifts will, there'll be new gifts that will probably be discovered and some will fall by the wayside is no longer relevant to who I am at this point in time. Um, and so there's this opening that just generally um, informs my ability to move through the world. Um, and I don't think for the most part that um, being open, generally speaking, is a bad thing. If anything, I think it just creates a greater invitation to allow the life that wishes to meet you the actual runway to do so. You know, um, like I recognize that, uh, you know, you know, you, you have to sing for your supper and you have to, you know, pay the bills and, and you have to work. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet I feel like in your, in your most perfect state, you know, in your most spirit state, you know, you are somebody who. You said that you, you have used the word empathy before when you were talking about mm. this family member that, and, 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 and I, and I feel like, and I want you to talk about like, you know, you, you're so gracious to come on my show and, um, I know you're, you're getting things out of it and it's very important. Just, I mean, we can't even see the significance of it at this point, but the point is why is it important to just to me, I, I also feel like there's something important about what I'm doing in terms of making sure, like all the great masters of music back in the 50s and 60s, I mean, they, some of them were not great people, but a lot of the, ti the titans of music um, were absolutely insatiable in their desire to want to share. It, there could mm -hmm. be younger white cats coming up to Elvin Jones, who was a an amazing black drummer and, and, you know, you know, he's a little bit scary looking and, you know, but then he starts to smile and it's, you know, and then people are coming up to him and I'm talking about, you know, guys from Brazil and, you know, they, but the minute they came up to him, he just wanted to tell them everything. And we are mm -hmm. in this major phase of greed and hoarding right now. Mm -hmm. And, and you are somebody, and I'll get people sometimes who are like, I'm sorry, Jake, I just, I can't, I can't do any free lectures right now. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I'm, and it's okay. I mean, that, that's what they say, but I, you know, it's kind of jive to me. And I just, cause you know, and, and I, and I just want you to talk about the power and if you recognize and believe and part of your life uh, purpose is to make sure the knowledge that you have inside carries on in the lineage of, 
not just your traditions, but for for other people, because that's what those masters were doing. They weren't they were not making a lot of money. They were scuffling, but and they mm-hmm. were genius and they were amazing and they were securing themselves. I guess that's the point. They were securing themselves. So mm-hmm. it's about sharing information, not hoarding it. And I just have you ever been a hoarder in your life? And if so, <laughs> and, and if so, uh, you know, how did you learn to give it all away? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, there's a couple of philosophies that I have here, um, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll back into how I got to them, but the, the first and foremost is that um, I'm of the belief that whatever this life is, whatever we have going on here is ultimately a benevolent force and um meaning that it wishes to show you its grandeur Mm. if you can believe that it wants to um and that kind of mindset that i hold and that belief spills out into just an idea of um abundance and i know this is like such a buzzword within like the spiritual um, (laughs) community of abundance but um i believe that that abundance in and of itself is an expression of the benevolence that exists and you know the other belief that i hold is that like we came here to create there is we are individually vessels of creative impulse and inspiration that wish to move through us and what we can do is to ensure that we do not inhibit that creative impulse from moving through us um and to translate that directly to um none of this is mine what i'm speaking of what i'm sharing with you what i'm giving of my heart is not mine to hold on to it is meant to be moved through me um it comes to me so that i can share it i can give it away freely um and i i choose to do so because i know that it is beyond me um and i am not in a place of scarcity i'm not in a scarcity mindset that i think like oh it has to be me 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 my 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 nobody else can know this stuff because we ultimately benefit by what I find to be the most beautiful transmissions that want to make themselves apparent through me. Hmm. Um, and for me, I believe that like if we are all on the same page of who we are to each other and who we are to our earth and all the life that exists here, then we have a much better foundation with which to move forward together um, with. Um, so much of the, 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 the problems that I see on our, on our planet are born from a place of fear and scarcity, um, all born from a place of fear and scarcity. Um, you know, you spoke of greed and, and things of this nature. Um, greed is coming from a deep fear of believing that there isn't enough for everyone, but we live on a place, like we live in a plane that allows thought to turn into material things in front of us. Exactly. You know, like someone conceptualized the chair and then we created a chair, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, someone thought about skyscrapers and we have, we now have cities around the world that have these things. Someone conceptualized this idea of the ability to observe nature and the way that nature operates in its cycles and to add on to that in a way that does not destabilize the environment to create this concept of regenerative farming. So that there is an abundance of food for everyone without detriment to the natural environment, just working with the natural environment, right? So 
all of this stuff that is conceivable is what we can kind of like create here. And so there's no real need to exist in a place of scarcity unless you are stuck in a, in a consciousness in a system that inhibits your capacity to be able to imagine and think in that regard. So coming from my own growing up, um, you know, we, you know, we didn't have a lot of money um, and money was always kind of a problem um, in the household of not having enough. And so that scarcity certainly lent itself to my, my upbringing and the way in which I operated in the world for the most part until I stepped away, like I made that conscious decision to step away from everything that I knew. I wanted to just step away from everything that was known to me and allow the infinite possibility to show me what is possible. Um, and in the course of that journey was recognizing that, that abundance comes in all forms. Mm. Um, if, like forms that I couldn't even imagine beyond the concept of just financial security. Um, it comes in the form of love in, 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 in relationships, in friendships of people who will care for you. Um, it comes in the form of a butterfly on a flower. <laughs> you know, it comes in the form of the beauty of a sunrise and a sunset that we get to witness and all these other ways that satiate us. Um, and, uh, and a belief that like, it will never be as bad as I think it can, it will never get as bad as I can imagine it, that it would be. Um, and even if it does come to that, I will still be okay. I'll be okay. And so I have no trouble, um, speaking with you, Jake. I have no trouble taking the time to share these things, even if it's just you and me. I really don't. To, 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 to me, it's, it's these truths that are lying dormant within you that are beckoning to be awakened um, and are being reminded of, of these elements of self and of humanity and of our, of our earth. And, um, and that, to me, is more important than anything else. It really is. I, I mean... It... I mean, you were talking before about the, uh, I mean, do you, you're like, I, I don't own any of this stuff. Um, it's mm -hmm. not mine. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, in a, for a musician metaphor, it's like, <clears throat> once you play a note live and you know, it, it's, it's of no use to that person, the, the musician. So you give it away, you share it with mm -hmm. the audience and, and, mm -hmm. you know, um, do you feel like not just, yeah, but I mean, in, in the field that you're in, uh, that some people, really get maybe they don't go in with that intention but then mm -hmm. all of a sudden they they're shrouded with praise or begin to you know whatever make a living doing it and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. they, they they forget that mm -hmm. they really don't own any of this stuff or it's it's not stuff that they created but merely and then therefore um they believe that um you know their time is so precious that mm -hmm. it requires uh, money mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um that comes back to value and um, and what one's definition of success is, things that we touched on earlier, um, and also down to the journey of the individual and where they are developmentally um, and spiritually, how they see things, whether or not they see things as being interconnected um, and what it is that they're putting out into the world. And um, I think that there's nothing wrong with monetizing or attributing a very specific type of um, value um, to what it is that's being given, as long as it's as the intentions are pure, um, you, you know, like like for me, I'll work. You know, I have a, I have a specific price that I ask for. Right. Um, 
but to me the, the work itself and if a person is ready to to um, to shift into their next iteration of self if they're really ready for it and I can see that then I'm happy to to make arrangements um, for it to make sense to them in a way that doesn't compromise anything that allows the value exchange to be the same um, and to feel mutually beneficial so that they can grow and that I can grow too um, and that comes basically back to just the underlying ethos in which I perceive the world that I live in um, which can shape and change over time obviously um, but for those that kind of fall into a path in which there is no longer an, an integrity to the responsibility that comes from being a vessel um, in, in, a, in an ethical and moral, moral way, then that is just an, a, an inflection point in their own journey of self. Um, and the people that go on that ride with them, clients, etc., and otherwise, um, will do well to inform the way that they make choices going forward. Um, because at the end of the day, all we're talking about is choices, the types of choices that we're making. Um, and there is, at least in me, um, a true north that always comes back to a very specific vision that I hold for humanity, um, which is for, for us to return to the natural symbiotic harmony. Um, with each other and to the plants and, and animals and, and, and our earth. Um, and not harmony in a sense that everything is positive and amazing, right. but just recognizing the inherent cycles that exist when we attune to nature and we attune to the, the natural part of ourselves, which, are, which is our own instinctual compellings. And so being that that's my true north, I'm able to move through the world with a check-in point. This is, again, it's like the long-term goal, the legacy goal here, the yes. long-term goal at my yes. prior job, yes. right? My profession was like that thing that was keeping me true north in order for me to, on a more short-term level, make the distinctions that eventually align me up to what that true north is. Um, and so this is what differentiates me from others. And, and again, this is just very speculative. Um, but, you know, this is the nature of the diversity of the human experience. There's nothing right and there's nothing wrong inherently with the way that people are interfacing with their life. It's just coming down to the choices that they're making based upon the information they have of what they've lived up until that point in time. Well, as we wrap up uh, chapter four, is it four? I think it's chapter yeah. four. Um, yep. You know, uh, just just to put a, a cap on this, because my we've today we did the first of the four L's of my show, uh, which was leadership. And I want you, I mean, you've talked about delusion, uh, manipulation, vanity, but then ultimately going to the flip side of it and being, keeping your eyes on the prize and, and goal oriented and, and salvation. But I, I want you to tell me what are the most important qualities of leadership and, um, are you, is that an area that you, because I believe you're, you have high expectations for yourself. If you, um, are still critical of yourself that you don't live up to what you believe are the, your idea, your understanding of what a really effective leadership is. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the values that I hold the highest, um, that I hold to the highest as, as it relates to leadership is just integrity. Um, integrity mm. is a beautiful virtue. Um, what does that mean to you? What does integrity mean to you? 
um, integrity is it is truth, it is it is morality, um, it is ethics, it is um, sticking to your word, sticking by your word, and um, and and showing up in a way that is not contradictory to who you are, not putting on any masks. Mm-hmm. Um, like really being authentic, like that is all of those those all of those characteristics compartmentalize into integrity for me. Um, the other is, um, I, and this is less of a characteristic and more of just like a a, a, a mindset mm-hmm. that um, whatever it is that we're doing in the world, we have to understand that like we belong to each other. Like we just we belong to each other. <laughs> like um, we belong to each other, and we belong to our home here, our earth, um, and that the decisions that we're making should be as 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 much as we are able to make decisions that are for the benefit of the whole. It is impossible to really truly do that in every step of the way, but the whole must always be considered in whatever it is that we're doing as leaders and the choices that we're making. Not what can I get out of this um, at whatever cost, and not would what would benefit just a small subset of population of the people that I'm associating with, but ultimately like what can be done to to perpetuate the for the choices that I'm making to perpetuate the understanding that like everything that I'm doing is inextricably linked to everything else, and how can I create the most benefit for the whole with the least amount of harm. How successful are you in, in that endeavor? Like, and and how much do, are, are you? Do you think that your expectations of yourself are unrealistically high? If I use my external world and who and what I interface with and what life presents me with, I have to say that I'm doing a pretty good job of that. Um, and I. I don't think that holding myself to these types of standards um, is um, I think that holding myself to these standards is one of the best things that I could possibly do for myself and for everyone that I interface with. Um, I would say that you know if if we look if just as a, a wide sweeping example. Imagine if the person in the seat of presidency was a person of the highest level of integrity and was capable of having an intellect that helped them to understand the way that everything is inextricably linked and was considering working towards the benefit of the whole of the population and the earth right. and was making decisions from that place. How quickly and how different things could shape um, in the nature of the reality that we exist in. Well, I would argue that you just described who Barack Obama was, and he was vilified for eight years by half the population. I, I'm with you. I, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, 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 that dude was always looking out for. He was the leader of the whole. I think he mm-hmm. was always looking out for what was in the best interest of the planet and society and humanity, and he didn't look mm-hmm. down on anybody and mm-hmm. uh, de- dealt with grace, and yet. Um, yeah, he was basically, um, I mean. And that's okay. 
that is the nature of diversity. But no, I guess you said you you you, you posed the question. You said where would we be? You know, like what mm -hmm. if we and we we had someone like that and we. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess we're just not really that evolved because we just. So this is different. This is the, I'm gonna just this is um, a small example because we know that the ability for him to exercise and move things in a direction was inhibited by the the um, the legislation that he was with, as well as the fact that um, long-term benefits um, that that can be broken down over time. And that's just the nature of our own democracy. Um, but even in that, that vilification, um, there's always going to be an opposite and contrasting side. And so then the question at the end of the day is like, number one, yes, like I will hold myself to that standard um, as I would appreciate any leader holding themselves to that standard because I think it's better to hold oneself to that standard than to not. Um, but at the end of the day, what kind of legacy are we leaving if we are using those characteristics as a basis in which to inform our way of being a leader? And those two components, I think, are very strong in terms of shaping the world around us in a way that is inspirational and important um, to remember just these very functional, foundational components of like the way that we are linked and how we make decisions in that regard. Um, what Kali Yuga are we in right now, according to you? Um, what Kali Yuga? Yeah. You know. What is that word? Uh, well, no, you put me, I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to know this. Uh, I guess we'll just, um, it's like these spiritual cycles, uh, the dawn of, of, of different, uh, ages. Um, it's K-L, K-A-L-I-Y-U-G-A. I guess I'll have to do my homework on it. I, I, they, they, they talk about these, these cycles in, in Vedic astrology mm -hmm. and that we are, uh, either, at the end of one heading into a new one um but um if you're not hip to that i'll i'll, uh, I'll send you a link to it um okay please just, yeah. yeah um and um uh, maybe we can uh, I, I can we continue next week yeah sure okay. no problem um and also i guess like one thing i would wish to say is um please. if there's any listeners that would love to get in touch with me for any reason um i can be found um uh my website is uh, likewatersheflows.com. Um, and I can also be reached by email, um, ms.susanbarnes at gmail.com. Um, yeah. um, your intentions are, are good, and I, um, I always feel incredibly filled with energy and, uh, and fortitude um, every time that we collaborate i i treasure our connection so thank mm. you so much my friend mm, my pleasure jake always a pleasure see you soon talk to you soon take care bye, bye. Well, looking to heal in all the right ways on the jake feinberg show can't thank you enough for tuning in today that's it for now we'll be back tomorrow until then peace